Okay. Realizing it's been seven weeks since I have stood here to preach a sermon uh, because I was on parental leave. I'm really grateful for that. Awesome. But you know, it feels really good to be back and to be uh, opening up the Bible, putting down sermon notes, and we're going to do this together. So I just want to say that. It's good to see you guys. It's good to be here. If you would, open, turning to worship God to the sermon text, um, or open your Bible if you if you like to use a, a, a Bible or a Bible app. We're in John 5, 1 through 18. We're picking, we've been in this um, Gospel of John slow hike journey, verse by verse, and this is we're picking up where we left off. So we're in John 5, 1 through 18. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied. I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Now once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said, I pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See? You are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Father in heaven, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Take it, receive it. All right, well, we've been, we've been in John's gospel for months and months and months and months. We're going slowly, we're calling it a slow hike because, you know, if you go on a hike and you're going slowly, you know, in any hurry, you can stop and look at everything pick things up, see the, see the sights, see the seats, see the sights, smell the smells, all the stuff. And that's our goal here in John's Gospel. Move our way through it slowly. This story is really significant in John's Gospel. This represents a turning point in his narrative arc. This is, this is a turning point in the way that he tells the story. We're going to spend two weeks on this story. Uh, at least that's what we have planned. Maybe a third week if it just gets crazy and keep finding stuff to, to, to look at together. Two weeks in this story. Uh, this week I want to focus on this guy that gets healed at the pool. Next week I want to focus on the religious leaders that get upset with Jesus. But the reason this story is so significant in John's Gospel is because it's at this point in the narrative that Jesus begins to face opposition. So far in John's Gospel, Jesus has been, um, he's been out teaching, uh, he's been out uh, doing miracles, or what John calls performing signs, uh, he, he's gaining popularity, people have asked him questions, he's fielded some skepticism from the Jerusalem-based religious establishment, but here, the Jerusalem-based religious establishment uh, it says that they began to persecute him. And they began to plot to try and kill him. This is where the religious establishment uh, in Jerusalem uh, says no to Jesus. And this opposition throughout John's Gospel builds and builds and builds and builds all the way until Jesus is crucified. This reminds us uh, that Jesus is a controversial figure. Uh, Jesus is a polarizing person. It's just part of who he is. Sometimes we can go into, a, you know, maybe a group of friends or family members or people at work, and sometimes there's a way to talk about Jesus where everybody's, you know, we can sort of float Jesus into the conversation where it's not too controversial. Everyone's like, yeah, you know, we can... You know, sometimes we can say things about, like, Jesus being a, a great inspiration or a, a great teacher or things like that. And, and maybe our friends, our family, our neighbors, or our co-workers, go, oh, they might get a little uncomfortable because we, we brought Jesus in, we're talking religion. But yeah, sure, you know, Jesus and all these other people, they're inspiring human beings. But once we start to talk about Jesus, like it does here, as someone who is equal with God. Oh, that, that's, that's awkward. When we start to talk about Jesus, when we stop qualifying him, or excusing him, or downplaying who he himself openly claimed to be, um, having God as his personal father, which in a first century Jewish manner of speaking was, like we see here, him saying, God is my equal. 
when we think about Jesus that way, it naturally draws opposition. And we see John doing that here. Jesus, he was, he is a radical. He made radical statements, radical claims about himself. He is uh, controversial. And that's what we start to see here in John's Gospel. Now, one of the things that, how this relates to, I think, what John is drawing out in this story, what John, as a Gospel writer and also as a pastor, is, is trying to show us as readers, and what I, as a pastor, would like to show you today, is Jesus as the controversial figure. Jesus as the one who thinks of himself so highly. When he comes into our life, like when he came into the life of this man at this pool. Like when he stepped into the lives of these religious leaders in Jerusalem. He tends to come in on his own terms. He insists on being interacted with in his way. Not in our ways. What I mean by that is uh, when, when Jesus enters into our life, he becomes a figure in our spirituality. He insists on taking over. Like with this guy at the pool, Jesus doesn't come, sometimes we reach out to Jesus because we, we want healing in our life. And then we might be surprised that Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't bring healing without also bringing, now go and stop sinning. Jesus doesn't come in and build up without also tearing down. Jesus doesn't come in to affirm without also coming in to confront. And that can be hard. But if we want to be Jesus followers, if we want to be Jesus people, it, it means getting to know him in this way. And as we get to know him, as he starts to reveal himself to us, as we start to see him as a strong personality of a human being, and as we get to know him, we find ourselves in situations where we need to make choices over and over again. Are we going to keep following or are we going to set ourselves against him? Part of the Christian life is making the choice to follow over and over again. Uh, but I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. Uh, you can see in your worship guide that I've titled today's sermon. Sometimes I don't really... Current title, sometimes I, I don't pay that much attention, but I was really proud of this one. <laughs> so uh, This one is called Jesus versus Folk Religion, Part 1. Uh, next week will be Jesus versus Folk Religion, Part 2. Uh, what's that about? Uh, well, I think that that's what this story is about. I think this story, I believe this story, is John the Gospel writer showing us that Jesus, as a, Jesus is somebody who sets himself against the folk religions and folk spiritualities that we carry around in our hearts. I believe that's what he's doing at this pool. I believe that that's what he's doing to these religious leaders. So that's what I want to focus on today and next week. First, let's define folk religion. Let's talk about folk religion. Maybe images come to your mind uh, like... Um, Maybe things that you might encounter at the Saturday market, you know, maybe like some kind of like, uh, you know, 
but by some movement like, like a mix of like New Age or Wiccan or like Voodoo type stuff. I mean, that's a kind of folk religion. Yes, but let's, let's go broader. What is folk religion? Well, there are two kinds of religious systems in the world. There are religious systems that come to us, to human beings, through official, accredited, sanctioned channels. They're established. There's established, uh, well-recognized traditions. Uh, there is canonized scriptures. There's uh, academics. There's established religion. And then there is folk religion. Folk religion would be not all of those things. There's religion that comes down through official channels, and then there's religion that comes up through unofficial channels. Religion that arises out of the stories, the hopes and dreams of local and experiences of local communities. Oftentimes, folk religions will take pieces of established religion and then mix them in and sort of redefine them uh, and combine them with folk tales, with family experiences, uh, with elements of superstition or magic, and they would sort of reinterpret the established religion in a new way that fits with their folklore. There's established religion, and then there's folk religion. That's sort of a general definition, but let me bring it home. How am I talking about it today? Well, as a Christian, as a Jesus follower, as someone who wants to get to know Jesus, and every time Jesus draws a line in the sand, I want to cross over to his side, the Jesus who insists on he is the way, the truth, and the life, the Jesus who insists that he is equal with God, the Jesus that insists that he is the one who gives living water, that he is the one who is life and life, that he is the one who is one with the Father. What folk religion means is really anything, well, as a Jesus follower, who chooses every time there, uh, he draws that controversial line in the sand to go with him. It means that I believe that official, religious, accredited channels, he's the only one. We read in John's prologue that Jesus is the Word. He is the Word of God that comes to us. He is the life. He is the life. So if he's the official revelation from on high, he is true religion, come down from God to us. And every other system of spirituality, uh, of religious activity, of religious hope, worship, that doesn't come through him as a channel. Maybe it comes from our own experiences, our own hopes and dreams, the hopes and dreams of our families, of our communities, our academies, anywhere else. Really, that's just, um, it's our expressions of folk religion. 
There's God reaching down to us in power through Jesus Christ. And then there's us sort of blindly reaching up to God in our folklore. And there's pieces of it that are that, that, there's pieces of it that are beautiful. There's pieces that we take from we, we incorporate like Solomon. Yeah, we want to we want to worship God, we want to worship Yahweh, but, but we're going to mix in this other stuff because it's kind of who we are. You see what I mean? Jesus sets himself against folk religion. Folk religion is human made. Jesus' spirituality is God made. Well, it's not even made, it's uncreated. God revealed to us. And Jesus, being such a polarizing figure, offers us true life in God and says no to our human-made folktales about how we are going to connect with the divine on our own terms. Let me show you how that comes from the story. Let's go to the story. Um, we're going to focus on the man in the pool. So first, let's talk about let's talk about the pool. It says um, Jesus goes up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. We don't know which one it does, which, which one it was. Tradition tells us, early church tradition, that it was. Pentecost, which is uh, the festival where they celebrated the giving of the law. That would make sense, especially if there's Jewish leaders getting all riled up about the Sabbath. We'll deal with that next week. But Jesus is in town for a festival, and he's over near the Sheep Gate, uh, which is near the temple. Supposedly, like, I've never been to Jerusalem, but like a hundred yards from the temple. And there's a pool there, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. Bethesda means house of mercy. And at the pool of Bethesda, there's five covered colonnades. Those are like pavilions. It's like a roof with columns without walls. And here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. Blind, lame, paralyzed. Um, so think field hospital meets maybe like a Portland homeless camp. Uh, this was crowded. These are people living outside. Uh, and dirty. Uh, if there's paralyzed people here uh, living on their own, uh, these are these are people, people that can't go to the restroom and clean themselves on their own, so probably would have smelled bad. I'm just getting real here, folks. This is this is not a pretty place. And Jesus goes to this place, uh, to this pool. Uh, tradition in our archaeology tells us that uh, this pool, it, it, it's not out in the open anymore, but uh, there's a church over by where the old sheep gate is called the Church of St. Anne. Uh, St. Anne, uh, Anna, is Mary's mom. So St. Anne is Jesus' grandma. Jesus' grandparents, Anna and Joaquin, lived over near the sheep gate, early church tradition tells us. So, it's likely that every time Jesus went to Jerusalem, maybe a lot of times he went to go to his grandma's house over by this pool. It's likely he's walked by here tons of times. If there was a man who had been there 38 years, Jesus was close to 30 years old, he'd probably seen this guy over and over and over again as this crowd changes over the years, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, there's this pool. It's under the church of St. Anne now. That's where it is. So we can we know a little bit about it. 
It's a pool that's fed by underground springs. There's a network of underground springs, and it's part of a, a network of springs that were used back in Jesus' day to wash the sheep that were coming in for sacrifices. So Jewish festival, they would have been doing sacrifices. Uh, there was a whole network of springs that were used to wash the sheep. Now, it's, a, it's an above-sea-level pool that's fed by this underground network of springs, which meant it would bubble up from time to time. Also, the pool under the Church of St. Anne has a rich mineral quality to the water that tints the water a little bit of a reddish color. Now, these were also used to wash the sheep. Um, maybe there might be some, some people who maybe thought that the reddish color had something to do with the blood of the sheep, the sheep sacrifices. Uh, very, very quickly, this, this pool took on this mystical um, folk religion. Quality. This is a mystical pool. It has something to do with the sacrifice. And it's bubbling up. This isn't because the springs. Uh, well, in, if you look at it in a Bible, and to be honest, I don't know if it's in the worship time, but if you look at it in the Bible, there's verses, verse 4. It's not actually part of the, the best we could tell is the original text of John's Gospel. But it is in a lot of the early copies of John's Gospel. It's what we would call verse 4, and it goes like this. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'll read verse 3, which is in your worship guide. I'll read verse 4, which isn't, which is in a footnote in the Bible. And then, and then here we go. Verse 3 says, Here are a great number of disabled people who used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. And then here's verse 4. Not part of John's original gospel, but in some early manuscripts. It says this. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come and stir up the waters. And the first one into the pool after each disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. Now, back to John's Gospel. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years, and Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition a long time. He asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. Trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. If we look at this verse, about the angel coming to stir the water and the first one in gets healed, we get a look into what was going on here. John's Gospel itself doesn't contain this verse about the angel and people clamoring to get in first. But we can see that the early readers of John's Gospel knew this folk tale. And somewhere someone put it in, oh, oh we need to include the rest of the story. We can, again, we can see, like Solomon, like us, like our hearts, we, we, folk religion. We like to we like to mix in our folk tales with, with the real thing. Uh, that's this pool took on this mystical folk religion. So all these people gathered around. All these people in need of healing, and it says that this man had been there in this condition for a long time. It says that he had been um, disabled for 38 years. We don't know how long he had been at the pool. But the text seems to indicate that he had been at the pool like probably the whole time. And so do you see what's going on? Here we have Jesus walking by in a neighborhood that he knew. Here's this pool next to the temple where the real stuff is happening. And remember in John's Gospel, Jesus had already declared himself to be the true temple. Remember that? Remember in John's Gospel, Jesus had already declared that he's the giver of living water. Remember that? And now he walks by this little pool, and here's all of these people 
people who are sick, people who are blind, people who are lame, people who are paralyzed. They're gathered around. It stinks. It's a mess. It's heartbreaking. It's dirty. It's nasty. And every time this pool bubbles up from this natural spring, it's chaos. People yelling and screaming and clawing over each other and competing and elbowing to get in the water. Because I guess that was what they thought was their only hope. And this guy had given his own choice or maybe his family had put him there and left him there. His life waiting at this stupid pool Watching the water. Imagine every time the wind blew and there was a ripple. Every time a dragonfly landed and there was a ripple. He's not. He's paralyzed. He might be able to drag himself over there. And maybe if it was him and one other paralyzed guy, maybe he would have a chance to get in first. But with the whole crowd, not a chance. So that's what's going on here. Here we see a guy. Here, here we see folk religion in, 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 in its naked glory. It's nasty. There's a guy just, it's a steel trap. It, it might look beautiful. Oh, here in Jerusalem, we have a place for these people where they can go and they can be included and they can have their community and people come by and check on them and there's a chance. If they want it bad enough, if they want it bad enough, if they try hard enough, if the people come around them and help them, they can get healed. And you know what? That healing, it comes from God. It's full. This was a hopeless, dark, nasty place where the stories of the community have replaced the word of God, which commanded God's people to give themselves to care for the poor and the sick and the lame and the outcast. To care for one another. Anyway, so you see it. Here is this man at the pool and he's stuck. And we see folk religion. Folk religion is what, what we see here. It's, it's, when we take, it's when a created thing is given ultimate value. When we expect it to do uh, a God thing. And, and it's, it's hell. Alright, so this guy's in hell. That's cool. Jesus comes along. And he says, he says the craziest thing. I love that it says that this guy, he, he doesn't really know, he doesn't know Jesus, he doesn't really recognize him. Um, but he hears Jesus' voice. I love that because in John's Gospel, Jesus is the Word. Jesus speaks, do you want to get well? First thing the guy does, if he can't even answer the question. He, he just deflects blame. He's there as other people's problems. I don't have anybody to help me. That's, that's what folk religion does, by the way. It turns our hearts sour. Where our problems are everybody else's fault. 
But anyway, that's how he responds. Jesus speaks into the situation. Do you want to get well? The guy can't even respond in faith. He is bound to his hopelessness. Then Jesus speaks again. He says to the guy, get up. Pick up your mat. Walk. I love that it said that he had been in this condition for a long time. And then when Jesus speaks, get up, pick up your mat, walk. And then verse 9, it says, at once. The man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. Jesus speaks. His words cut through every other story, every other word that this guy had heard every other hope, every other dream, every other folktale, every other moment where he had sat there and suffered under a gospel that was not good enough to offer him life. And then he hears these words, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And these words come from the only person who speaks a word strong enough to cut through, to actually accomplish the purpose that that God had for this man's life. I love, he says, get up. This guy had a choice. He had to respond. He says, pick up your mat. This guy had been there for somewhere around 38 years. He hadn't gotten in the pool first yet, but I guarantee you he had shifted his mat up to a pretty good spot in the crowd. Pick up your mat. He's going to lose his place there. He's going to lose his seniority. He's got to walk away from that folktale and walk. Embrace the life that you have been given. And he does it. And where does he go? So now we see the power of the pool, the power of folk religion. And it's a steel trap. It'll allure you, it'll bring you in, it'll give you false hope, it'll bind you, and it'll keep you in your own hell forever. And then we see the power of the word of Christ. Bam. Healed. Given a choice. Given a chance, set free. But it's confrontational. Jesus goes and he finds this guy in the temple. This guy doesn't even understand what's happened to him. Jesus goes and he finds him. What does he do? He speaks grace to him. See, you've been made well. Look at yourself. Then he speaks truth to him. He says, stop sinning or something worse is going to happen to you. Stop sinning. What what is Jesus talking about? Something worse? Something worse? What, What is he talking about? I believe what Jesus is saying here is, is basically this. Look, you've been made well. 
no matter what, don't go back to the pool. Stop putting your hope in these stories. There is something worse than being paralyzed. It's being paralyzed and being bound to false hope. And so that's Jesus versus folk religion. That's what the hopes, dreams, experiences, and stories, and the best religious aspirations of our communities has to offer us versus what Jesus, the Word of God, who comes from the Father, the light and the life of God that shines in the darkness, He's full of grace and truth. That's what He has to offer us. So, what does this have to do with us today? Well, I think when we think about folk religion, like, like we talked about earlier, it's easy for us educated Western people to think about, well, maybe that one time we went on a mission trip to the third world country. Maybe the one time we went to the, to the Native American reservation and saw all that Roman Catholic syncretism. We went down to the Saturday market and saw all that New Age or the Wiccan stuff. Yeah, that's folk religion. Why don't we think about ourselves? What stories, what hopes and dreams and experiences arise out of our families, our communities, our churches that don't come from God and His divine revelation through Jesus Christ, but we hold on to them as if they have ultimate meaning and ultimate value? And we look to these stories, these systems, these hopes, as if they can save us from whatever it is that plagues us. From our own, maybe it's a physical illness. Maybe it's sins that weigh on your conscience. Or maybe it's a small church that needs to make some decisions about its future. What stories are we looking to that aren't Jesus to give us meaning and hope? Well, there's thousands of them. And if each one of us would be interviewed, we'd find lots of different ones. But each of us carry them around. Let me just go out on a limb and maybe call out a few by name. Here's one. Here's a big, obvious one. The folk religion of Christian nationalism. This idea that we live in a Christian nation that needs to be taken back and reclaimed as a Christian nation if we get the right candidate in office. Or, or uh, we, can, we can call the folk religion of um, political, let's just go to the other side of the spectrum. Uh, political, uh, whatever. Enlightenment or whatever. If we could just get the other candidate in office, right? If we could just do politics right and get America right, or get Portland right, then everything's going to be okay. We could just go back to the way it used to be. If we could just, here we go, we could just make America great or make America ungrate. Or like, you know what I mean? With our 
Facebook walls, our family conversations, our family stories, our conversations over the fence, how much do we believe and hope that what we need for America and for the world is to right the political ship, or what we need for Portland is to get the right person in office, pass the right laws, repeal some of these new laws, get these people off the streets, enforce the speed limit, get things back to the way they were, and this city will be right again. Folks, this city, this country, this world is never going to be right again until Jesus Christ comes in glory and reveals himself and brings his kingdom. He brings the kingdom, not us. We're his children who wait and who work and who hope. But we get caught up in this folk religion. Or how about this one? Both religion of just be a good person and try real hard and everything's going to be all right. And that's such an easy one. I've heard those folk tales my whole life. Charlie, you get up in the morning, you work hard, you love your wife, you go to church, you don't smoke, don't drink, don't hang out with people who do. Just, 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 just do it right. Everything will be fine. I'll take care of you. Guys, there are lots of people who do really good things, who have good-hearted intentions, who work really hard, and their lives stink. They go hungry. They lose their jobs. They die of cancer. Our world is broken. You can never work hard enough or be good enough to make everything right in your life. Our world is being torn apart by sin, and you're part of it. So am I. How about this? In our little church, Pope Craig, if we would just do this, 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 and this, everything would be fine. Our church would be so much better. Everything would be right in our life. Our church is broken because we are in it. I can go on and on and on. Folk religions about sex, folk religions about gender, folk religions about money. On and on and on. How long have you been lying at the pool waiting for the water to ripple, believing that you actually have a chance to get in there? And if you did, then something's actually going to happen. Your only hope. My only hope. The only hope for this church. The only hope for your family. The only hope for this city. The only hope for the world. It's Jesus. The Word of God. The light of God. The life of God. The giver of living water. He said. So what's it going to take for us to get up? To pick up our mats? To stop reserving our places at these pagan wells? 
away. Jesus followers, Jesus people, Jesus hopers. He is everything. There is nothing else. Let's pray.